Welcome, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome. So glad you guys are with us. Uh, super glad to be in the house of the Lord today, and we're going to continue in our series in just a second. I want to just give you guys a little recap of Easter last week. For those of you who weren't here, most of you were. A lot of people were here last week. Um, just amazing to see in a church uh, that I just can remember. You know, we used to meet in a, at a little hall over in Southboro called Favel Hall. And the first service of which I was a part, um, I can remember literally my daddy was behind the pulpit. And I'm leaning on the pulpit like, yeah, he's my dad. You know, this is me. This is my church. And there were 19 people in that first service. And I'm pretty sure we counted a couple babies in the womb. And so to see that uh, a church where we had six, six physical experiences on Easter in three different locations and hundreds, maybe even thousands of people being reached online. It's an amazing day to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Turn to your neighbor say, get ready, get ready, get ready. Well, we are going to finish our series entitled Two Crowns. You saw the bumper just a little while ago, and uh, we've been addressing kind of three questions, uh, questions that people have. You're all set, brother. Thank you so much. Questions that people have that maybe are not articulated or crafted as, as clearly uh, but we talked about why did Jesus have to die? How many were here for that message? Raise your hand if you were here. Just really encourage you to get that because a lot of these things build upon each other. The Bible can't be taught all at once. It's, it's built, you know, precept upon precept, the Bible says, line upon line. And so sometimes we have to break it into pieces. And, and there are certain things that are a little bit more important. All the Bible's important, but not equally important. And so we talk about, it's quiet already. Can I have an amen out there? Okay. Uh, the genealogies of Jesus are not as important as John 3.16, for God so loved the world and gave his only begotten son. Amen? That's what I was just trying to So you guys are like, I don't know if I agree with that. Well, you need to agree with that because it's true. Okay, so why did Jesus have to die? Last week we talked about what's so important about the resurrection. And today uh, we're going to talk about the second coming. Amen? Why? When is he coming back? And, and what's interesting, in, in newspapers, uh, newspaper companies, uh, they have a term, they call it second coming type. Second coming type. In other words, there's certain press that certain things get that are of a second coming type. Uh, examples of that would be Pearl Harbor, uh, the assassination of Kennedy, uh, the World Trade Center destruction, and, and the like. And, and so the description, second coming, is telling you and I that there's a mega event on the way. Amen? Amen? And so this is a really important subject. I will say, I don't know how this is going to come out. I don't know if I'm going to preach this or teach this. I anticipated literally being on a stool and just kind of talking to you and sharing some things uh, from the Bible on this. There's a lot in the Bible on this. There's, it's like an eight-to-one ratio, uh, uh, the topic of the second coming to the resurrection, believe it or not. So in other words, eight times more is this discussion in the Old Testament and the New Testament about the second coming of Christ than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So it's a, it's a pretty hot topic. And, and, and it's hard sometimes or difficult uh, for people to believe it. And so I'm going to spend a little bit of time on that. It's certainly for some uh, possible to believe in the resurrection of the dead. Otherwise, we wouldn't have had millions of people around the world going to church. But it, it's because there's certain convincing proofs uh, that people have accepted or researched. And, and more importantly, we talked about last week how it applies to you, that God wants you to have your own resurrection. Amen? Amen. Morgan did a great job recapping that, but I want to encourage you, if you didn't get that message and you want to know how the, 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 the resurrection applies to you, go back and listen to that on our YouTube channel. There's thousands of videos on there, literally, uh, to help you in your spiritual walk. 
But, but it, we can believe that because we can kind of look back. Uh, we can believe, uh, we can look back sometimes at it, even though it's difficult, we can look back sometimes at some of the Old Testament uh, miracles. Uh, we can look back uh, at, at the New Testament miracles that are in the Bible. And, and if you have some scholarly skills, uh, you can uh, deduce or you can draw certain conclusions about those things, um, whether they're believable or not, based on historical evidence or eyewitness accounts or testimonials, or I like to say changed lives. Those are the kind of things that you can, you can do when you're trying to uh, see things like the resurrection or see things like uh, miracles. But when, you have to, when you're going to talk about the second coming of Jesus Christ, it's not in the past. It's yet to happen. And so it requires from us a, uh, a certain, it requires faith. It requires a pure faith kind of thing in our life. But we've been called by Jesus uh, to, and he's told us in his word that, and he's told us with his own words that he's coming back again. That he's coming back again in the sky of all things. <laughs> it's crazy if you think about it, right? And, and so Jesus said it, and that should settle it, but it doesn't for a lot of people. And even though he said, I'm leaving and I'm coming back, and even though he said it even more as he uh, prepared to leave uh, the first time he was here, before he ascended into heaven in kind of his final days, final hours, he, he talked about it a lot. Just, just read your Bible, John 14 of to, to John 17, for example, he talks about it a lot. But then in Acts chapter 1, which is our theme text, verse 9 and following, I'll kind of summarize this. But I told you this, uh, every single week we've been talking about this. Jesus is giving final instructions before he leaves. So he's come to earth. He has lived a sinless life. He has died and paid for the sins of humanity. He uh, went down into the grave. He got the keys to open up. You know, the things that are dead or dying in your life, which we talked about last week. He rose on the third day. Can I have an amen? amen? And then he revealed himself on the earth for a certain amount of time, providing uh, convincing proofs. Look at my hands. Look at my side. Look at my feet. Uh, he did different things. He, he ate with them. He talked with them. He fish fried with them along the river. He did all this amazing stuff. And, and he's getting ready to ascend. And before he ascends, he has final kind of conversation with his disciples and, and then, poof, he begins, I don't know how exactly, I say poof, but maybe he just kind of floated up, I don't know, I mean, you know, levitated, you know, you're going to have to just imagine, but the Bible says they're all just watching him go up into the sky. And as, he's, as they're watching him, two angels appear, I'm thinking like, well, they're looking up, they're like, boom, boom, two angels are like, why are you looking up in heaven, whoa, whoa, you know, I can imagine they must have been like, can you, I mean, sometimes you got to put yourself in the story, I think we just blow by things and just go, that must have been wild. Why are you looking up into the sky? I don't know. I just saw a guy float. You tell me. And, and then they basically say, these angels say, the same way he went up, he's what? He's going to come down. He's going to come down. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's coming back down. So that's what it says in Acts chapter 1. So the disciples, they, they go all over the place. They spread this news. He's come back to life. He's ascended. And don't forget uh, and remember this, he will return. He will eventually return. And, and, and that's, that's, where, that's where over time it gets, if we're honest, um, it's, it's funny how people are hard, it's hard to be honest in church sometimes. But anyway, if we're honest, we get spiritual not always honest. That's another message. But anyway, if we're honest, it's hard to believe because 
of different things, which we're going to talk about a little bit, little bit. Now, I advertise just to be funny. I'm going to tell you when he's coming back. But if, 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 I, if, if people believed I could tell you when he was coming back, we'd have no room. The walls would be knocked out, simulcast around the world. So obviously, I'm not going to tell you that, right? Because nobody knows. According to scripture. If anybody tries to do I was going to do a whole series of things. Uh, I, could, I could talk about the second coming for the next four weeks from an information standpoint because there's so much out there. But people over the years have tried to predict Jesus coming back and been wrong over and over and over again. And, and, and they've gotten press and, and, and it's, been, it's been crazy. But the Bible's explicit. Nobody knows. Jesus doesn't know. The angels don't know. The only one who knows is the Father is the Father. So I'm not going to talk about that. I'm going to attempt to deal with or uncover the importance of this subject, not on the when side of it, but the why we can believe in it. And I'm going to exegete, it's a big word for just kind of unpack and unravel one text from 2 Peter chapter 3. So if you've got a Bible, you can look at that, or you can look at it um, in your digital Bibles, or you can just not look at it and just whatever. So here's what I'll say uh, by introduction. Going back in my own life, using myself, one of the most disconcerting subjects was this subject for me growing up as a teen. And people talk about, I grew up in church, just for what it's worth. Uh, my father was a converted atheist, so I saw the BC, the AC, before Christ, after Christ, life, before Christ, terrible, upbringing, home, strife, drama, trauma, after Jesus, major change. So we started going to church. But this subject would come up in church, and man, it would freak me out. And, 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 and I grew up thinking that Jesus is going to come back right in the middle of my worst sin. <laughs> like whenever I'm doing the thing that I shouldn't be doing, that's when he's going to come back. And he's going to come back, and he's going to be like, oh, well, son, I was going to take you home with me. But because of that, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to leave you here. You're going to be left behind. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And, that was, that was, and, and to some extent, that little feeling creeps in now and then, depending how me and he are doing. Right? And I, I remember just piggybacking on this. I can remember from getting real honest. The reason I didn't want him to come back is because I wanted to get married. No, no, let me rephrase that. It's not that I wanted to get married. I wanted the benefits of getting married before he came back. Can you guys handle that in this service? We just turned it into a marriage conference, relationship conference, okay? So I, I, we just thought there's just some things we need to experience before we experience that. And, and this experience, if he comes back, is going to mess up the experience that I wanted to have before he came. So in other words, I kind of saw his coming as an interruption, an incredible interruption to my life. Now, on the other side of the equation, so that, that's one way that you could look at it as an interruption to your life, the way you want your life to go, the experiences you want to have, the things that you're going to lose out on. But then there's this tension because then there's on the other side, well, if he does come back, and I believe he is going to come back, I want to be ready. I'm scared. In fact, there were these movies that came out in the 70s and 80s. It was a series of three movies. One of them was called, some of you old timers, you remember this, it was called A Thief in the Night. And it was connected to a scripture in the Bible, just so you know, like he's going to come like a thief in the night. And, and this movie was, I mean, it was uh, churches around the country used this movie to scare teenagers out of hell into heaven. That was basically the number one reason this movie came out. I was convinced of it. 
And, and so this movie was terrible. I mean, it was just like, you know, there's like, there's a woman sleeping on her bed. I can just remember this barely. And there's all these noise and commotion. And then the TV's on, it's playing. And all of a sudden there's this breaking news. Breaking news, you know. And, and somebody gets on the screen and just says, it's just incredible. Something, people are just vanishing all around the world. And, and that's in the background. And, and then she kind of wakes up and, and, and the alarm's going off. And then she can hear off in the distance the TV, and then she can she can hear like a razor, and she's like, "Honey, honey, where are you?" She goes in the bathroom, and there's just a razor buzzing in the sink. Nobody's there. Honey, honey, where are you? And and her husband had just left, and she was there, left behind. And let me just tell you something: anybody that wasn't saved got saved. Anybody that was saved got rededicated their life. It was just people were pet. I was petrified of that movie, you know. And then when I became a pastor, I was like, where's that movie? I need that movie for all these young kids. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I would have scared some kids back into heaven. But I would live with this tension, you know. We don't want him to come back because it would be an interruption, but we definitely want him to be ready. Amen. Does this make sense? So we really fall into two categories in this subject, okay? And this is for people that are living on, li listening online and, and watching elsewhere. Some of us have never heard about this, this idea of a second coming before. You're thinking, yeah, whatever, right. God's going to come out of the... He went up in the sky. He's going to come back out of the sky. Chalk this up as another fairy tale. Okay, hang on. Then the second group of people, you believe this. Like, you believe it, but you don't give it a lot of thought. It's just kind of... It's like... You're too busy to give it a lot of thought. It doesn't have relevancy to daily life. That's a lot of people that are listening within the sound of my voice. And so it's because, and as a result, this falls into more of a theological category than a lifestyle situation in our life. It's in our, it's in our peripheral, at best for us as Christians, because our life, and this is really diabolical, gets so busy and we become preoccupied with the things that are happening here that we're not paying attention to the things that happen there that are going to actually come down here. Do you know, when we actually pray, our Father who art in heaven, uh, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come. Do you know, that's actually a second coming prayer. Well, I didn't think about that. But, yeah, you prayed that. And so what happens is the second coming is way over there, and we just don't want to think about it. We just, we just don't want to get into that right now. So here's a key text that I mentioned before, 2 Peter chapter 3. And we're going to unpack this. And this is written by Peter, who was an eyewitness. Okay? He was front and center with Jesus. And he writes this letter to people who fall into these two categories, some who don't believe it, and some who really don't care because it doesn't, it, it's like it hasn't happened. Everybody there? Yeah. Praise God. 20 people there. That's good. Okay. So we're going to try to address two kind of things here. Why we can believe in his return. Give us a reason for that. And Peter does this really well. Why can we believe in his return 2,000 years later? Peter addresses that in this chapter. And then he describes uh, for us the things associated with the return of Christ and their significance to us in the chapter as well. That's the two things we're going to do. Is everybody tracking? So 2 Peter chapter 3, I'm going to start reading in verse 1. For the AVL, I'm going to just kind of creepy crawl through this, but I'll read the first four verses, but then you're going to have to keep going back to this big text. 
It says this, verse 1, Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them in re as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and command given by the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Then he says this. Pay attention now. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, everybody say the last days. I think we're in the last of the last days. It says, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. That's somebody that's exalting their opinion above the word of God. They will say, where is this coming? Where is the second coming he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything just goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. So basically for 2,000 years... This has been going on. Okay, if Jesus is actually coming back, where is he? Why hasn't he come back? Nothing has changed since creation uh, till now. You need to kind of let go of this Jesus is coming back thing. So far, that's what's going on here. So Peter says, you can't fall for that argument. It's actually not an argument. It's, it's, it's something that might have emotional weight, but there's no substance, substance to it. It's not an argument. Listen, it's an observation they're making. Tracking so far? Yeah. You're like, I'm paying attention, Pastor. So it's not, what, what they're saying is not an argument, but it does have emotional significance. What they're saying is an observation. He hasn't come back yet, so he's not coming back. That's not an argument. That's an observation. But it's been a long time, bro. So, okay, so it does have some emotional weight. And that, that observation affects people. It has affected people for a long time. And so you could have non-Christian friends or even Christians who are saying, if he's coming back, where is he? It's, it's 2,000 years. And again, it has weight. So, so Peter gives us what we know uh, as students of the word as kind of an apologetic. How do you explain that then? How do we understand this? And he basically says to us, you can't think... In terms, he's going to go on here to unpack this. You can't think in, in terms of time. Everybody say time. time. In other words, don't use time to conclude or deduce uh, or reduce this subject and evaluate it. It's not the best way to do that. The fact that he isn't here doesn't mean he won't be. The fact that he isn't here yet doesn't mean he won't be at some point. He says, you got to look at something else. And so now in the, he, he continues to help us look at other things. And he builds a premise for the promise. And in verse 5, he says this. But they, back then, deliberately forget, these scoffers, that long ago, by God's word. Everybody say God's word. Which we say we believe in and we count on. By God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. So he's saying before you get bent out of shape about, about this Jesus coming back thing, remember that the same God who created the heavens and the earth, the same God that through his son did that, that same God said, I'm coming back. That same God that did that by his word will in turn do this by his word. And when he says I'll return, you can take that to the bank. That's what he's saying here in 2 Peter chapter 3. Is everybody with me? So, and he's also sort of saying or implying, and I'll just say this rhetorically, do you believe in the creation? Do you believe that God created the heavens and the earth? And if your answer is yes, well, if it's no, then we got another problem. But if it's yes, then the same God who did that, you should have trust and confidence, can do this. That's what he's saying. That's, the, that's one reason to believe. Everybody say one reason. So if you can believe in creation, then you can believe in his return later. Amen. Which, by the way, is when he's going to recreate everything, which I'll get to in a little bit. So the same God has the power to fulfill that, 
where he could speak into nothingness and make something. Put the stars in the sky and, 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 and hang light and, and, amidst darkness. And he can form things out of the waters and, and create all the things that we see in the Genesis account. That same God who had the power to do that definitely has the power to come back by himself. Are you with me? So, in other words, you could go outside today. You could look up into the sky. You can get a view. Listen, you can get a view of, of creation, which is a constant reminder to you and I, Peter is saying, of the faithfulness of God. Amen? This is good preaching. I didn't think I was going to preach. I thought I was going to teach, but I might preach. Oh, yes, Lord. Okay, verse 6, continuing. So he says, oh, this is where it gets crazy. He says, by these waters also, everybody say also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. So he's saying another thing, and there, my dad used to say, then there again on the other hand, you don't say that very often, but anyway. Another thing God did is there came a time because of the sinfulness and depravity of man where it had to be, the world had to be destroyed. And we know, or we've heard, the story of Noah. And, and God basically says, I'm going to destroy the earth, but I'm, I'm going to save some who accept what the truth is. And so he does. And, but how did he destroy the earth? He destroyed the earth not by the flood, but by the spoken word. The spoken word of God produced the floods from God, right? So the same spoken word that created the heavens and the earth is the same spoken word that produced the flood. So one reason we can believe that he's coming back is because of creation. Another reason we can believe that he's coming back is because of the flood. Just fact check. You know, they have determined, scientists have determined the whereabouts and location of Noah's Ark, if you didn't know that, years ago. High in the mountains of Turkey on Mount Ararat, they found it. It's there. And seismic studies, seismic uh, evaluations, archaeological surveys and whatnot have conclusive evidence that there was this tumultuous time approximately 6,000 years ago. And from that formed valleys and mountains. And they, the scientists have a certain understanding of what that's about. But we as Christians know that that was the flood. And so we have two, two uh, evidences, convincing proofs for us as Christians that God did this, so if God had the power to, uh, by his word, do that, then he has the power to, by his word, do what he said he's going to eventually do. Are you with me, everybody? So, uh, so, so, so Peter's like, don't get lost in the time thing. Don't get lost in the time thing. So two reasons conclusively that, we are, that you can grab a hold of, that we can believe in the second coming is creation and the flood. But Peter goes deeper. So let's, let's go deeper. Are you ready? Peter goes deeper to the significance. This is what I said at the beginning. We're going to talk about the significance of the return of Christ. Now, you may have a particular... I'm going to show you a prophetic timeline super fast. I, I wish I could do an unpacking of this. But I just kind of want to give you a snapshot so you see where we are. You know when you go into a mall and you got a legend and it says you are here? So I want to help you see where you are and where, what's coming up next and where we came from. And this is an eschatological sequence of events. There's different interpretations of this. But can uh, we'll just do this one at a time. I think you guys, are you guys ready? Hopefully you're ready back there. Okay. So first of all, there was the first coming, okay? The first coming. Is that going to show up on the screen? Can you just show me that? Oh, you showed the whole thing. You showed the whole thing. But that's okay. There you go. The first coming. Good job. Good job. There you go. So there's the first coming. Jesus comes to earth, right? He dies on the cross. We know that. Then he ascends into heaven. And then we know what's called the church age. Can you show the church age? We're in the church age. This is a 2,000-year period. So post-resurrection of Jesus Christ, 
approximately 2,000 years have transpired. We're in this. This is a grace and favor period in our life. Now, the next coming event, significantly, significant for you to know, the next thing on the prophetic timeline is the rapture. The rapture, you can see there's a little hook. He doesn't, he doesn't, oh, there will be a little, there was a little hook. He doesn't actually touch down. He calls us up to him. So this is not the second coming. This is, we're coming up to him. He's snatching us away. Guys, that's next. So you need to be ready, and we'll come back to that. You need to be ready, because that's what's going to happen next. To those who called upon the name of the Lord and have accepted him as their personal Lord and Savior, there's going to come a day, and it's in your Bibles. You should read it. And I've done a teaching on this if you want to go online. He's going to pull us up into heaven. He's going to take us to be with him, okay? So this is very significant. Uh, he's coming. The groom, that's God, is coming for his bride. That's us, his church. Then when we go up, that initiates the tribulation. The tribulation is a terrible time when you do not want to be here on planet Earth. That's why I believe in the first elevator. And I'm going to do everything I can to go up on that one. And get as many people as I possibly can to go with me. And that's why we exist as a church. That's why we're trying to reach people in Framingham, in TC, and online, and here, and around the world. Are you with me? Because we want as many people to go up and not go into this seven-year tribulation. When I say tribulation, it's horrible. Now, when that's going on here, we're up there celebrating the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, many people believe also that believers will experience what's not known as the judgment of faith, but the judgment of works. So that, that means you're going to be up there, you're going to have a big supper I, with God, and you're going to be able to see him, but you're also going to have an eyeball-to-eyeball -eyeball conversation with him, and you're in, but your rewards will be determined by what you did here then. That's what happens after that. Puts a little healthy fear of God and joy of the Lord in some of our hearts, okay? So then after that, everybody say after that, is the second coming. Everybody say the second coming. Okay, so... Then he's coming back, and guess what? We're coming back with him. We come back with him. And when he comes back, it's, it, you got to read like Revelation chapter 19 and just see how he's coming back. He's coming back large and in charge. He's coming back, not with a crown of thorns, but with a crown of glory, everybody. And then we're going to come here, and he's just, he's the, what initiates that is the battle of Armageddon. The battle of Armageddon. So when that's all going on, Jesus is going to show up right during that time. I know some of you think this is crazy, but it's in your Bibles, and he's did this, and he's did this, and he's did this, and the prophecies that have been fulfilled, 500 prophecies have been fulfilled already in the Bible. No religion can say that. So you should check it out, because what if it's true? I wouldn't bank your opinion on God, against God's word any day of the week. So I just want to throw that out there. So the, so the second coming, we come during the battle of Armageddon, and then rule and reign, it's called the millennial, for 1,000 years. We rule and reign here for 1,000 years. Satan's locked up. He's, 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 he's sidelined uh, during that period of time. And then after that period of time, we're with God forever as he recreates uh, the earth. And we spend eternity with him. That's the prophetic timeline. Like in, what did I do that in? Three minutes? Something like that. It's impossible what I just did. But you get a little snapshot. Turn to your neighbor and say, that was a snapshot. <laughs> okay. So when he comes back, uh, there's global ramifications when he comes back. Most of our life, we're living in like local thinking. Like, you know, we're praying for our needs. We're praying for the things that are happening in our town, in our family. But Jesus coming back is answering questions that we think about really all the time. Concerns that we have all the time. We're thinking about, uh, most, let's say, thinking people are thinking about, if God's so good, why does he allow all this stuff to keep happening down here? 
If God's so good, why doesn't he stop the wars? Why doesn't he stop that evil? Why doesn't he stop this nonsense and this, this cultural thinking? Why doesn't he stop slavery? Why doesn't he stop sickness? His coming back is the answer to that. It is the response to that. It, and it has, and when he comes back, he's not just dealing with the local problems, he's dealing with a, a planet problem. Okay? He's dealing with, in essence, the problem of evil. So he, when he came back the first time, it was to reconcile those who wanted it back to God. But when he comes back the second time, the first was about you, God and man. The second time is about God and earth. And he's going to fix everything that's wrong. But before he can fix and deal with the problem of evil, he's going to have to wipe some stuff out again. So verse 6 and 7, same chapter, we're exegeting this. Uh, line by line, by these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word that the word present heavens and earth are, are the, the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire. This is where it gets a little dumb, 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 scary. Being kept for the day of judgment. That's, that's when he comes back. And destruction of the ungodly. So all the things that are wrong on the earth, he's coming back and it's going to be, there's going to be restitution made for that. All the things were like, what about, what about, what about, why, why, why? If so good, if so good. Don't worry. He's coming back, okay? You ought, and in the verse 11, it says, verse 11 uh, and through 13, it says, you ought to live holy, godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. So we can do things to accelerate his coming. Uh, I don't know if I can talk about that today. But that day, that day is the second coming, will bring about the destruction of heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise... We, that's believers, are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. <laughs> okay, six minutes, 39 seconds. This is impossible. So when Christ comes back, this is not going to just be for earth a happy-go-lucky homecoming. Okay, his return, I don't know how to say this, but it brings about the process of total annihilation of this planet as we know it. Don't ask me all the details I don't know that I can unpack it, but the world as we know it, he's going to uncreate it, and then he's going to recreate it. The Bible says he will build a new heaven and a new earth. In essence, he's going to restore, but I actually think make better, what was in Genesis before sin. What, what happened after sin, the world got all messed up and progressively messed up. Before sin, man and God were intimate in relationship, and it was perfect. It was utopia. It was Eden. Are you with me, everybody? It was amazing. And man and God were in perfect alignment, and, and it was a wonderful uh, status to be in. But what God gave us, and this is, you're going to have tons of questions, and so just send them all to Devin. Because <laughs> I'm prepping him for the future, so it's just better if he gets them all. But what God gave us with this is... With this, with this life is he gave us this incredible, incredible gift called freedom. Everybody say freedom. And we love it. We love our freedom. Uh, this country loves it more than anybody else. But with that freedom that God gave us, he cre it creates the potential for evil. With freedom comes, if it's real freedom, comes the potential for evil. And this is very important for Christians. So non-Christians sometimes try to trap us and say, oh, did God create everything? Well, yes, he did. Well, did he create evil? You know, like, ha-ha, gotcha, you know what I mean? But, but here's, here's the context for that. He, create, he gave you freedom, and with that freedom comes the potential for evil. 
And because you have choice, you can choose blessing and cursing. You can choose life and death. You can choose sin or righteousness. Are you with me, everybody? And so he, he gave us that because he didn't want to create automatons that get up every day and say, I worship you, God. I worship you, God. And there's no free will behind that. He wanted us to choose to love him, choose to follow him. Are you with me? So, yes, he did create. He did, in, in an essence, create it, but he created freedom, and with that come the potential. Now, man actualized that evil, and because of that, many evils and many consequences have transpired since then because, and that's why we have all the things that we have today. It's ultimately the catastrophic weather patterns, the tsunamis, uh, the, 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 the diseases, and all these things. It's a byproduct of sin. It's a byproduct of sin. We live in a broken world, and it's broken and shattered, and listen, Ultimately, God's not going to fix the world. He wanted to fix us. Yeah. Right? And so he, he's going to recreate the world for us, but his focus was fix us, heal us, change things for us. So the world will be destroyed as we know it. He's going to create a new heaven and a new earth, and he's going to resolve as a result this tension between good and evil, between the mercy of God and the crazy nuts things that we see in this world. It's all a massive global thing, but all the evil on the whole planet will be dealt with all at once when he comes back. That's in a nutshell what's happening. And so this is a solution. This return of Christ is a solution to the things that break our heart the most. It's a solution to the reason many don't come to Christ because, like, well, if he's so good. It's a solution for me to, you know, uh, you know why, how, how can I trust that it's going to happen? And so his delay, listen to me, is not a lack of interest in what's going on here. That's where we miss it, and Peter's going to unpack this for you. His delay is not an indicator that he's changed his mind or he's insensitive to our plight. His delay can be chalked up to something completely different. And so let's go on to what that's all about. He goes deeper here. Because people are basically saying, okay, if that's all true, PD, why doesn't he come now? If that's true, why not now? Okay, Peter addresses that in his apologetic verse 8. He says, don't forget this, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. So theologians, physicists, smart people smarter than me, have been debating this for years, like how does God see time? How does God see time? Time to you is different as, than it is to, 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 to God. We're prisoners of time. You know, we're prisoners of it. One moment follows another moment, follows another moment, very linear and all of that. But God is not a prisoner to time. God who created time stands outside of time, and consequently what seems for a long time to us is very short to him. Are you with me? A thousand years is like a day, and a day is like a thousand years. So if we want to put that in literal terms, maybe we should. It's only been two days. <laughs> Which then makes everybody panic, like, oh, my God, it's going to be a long time before he comes back and fixes all this stuff down here. Don't you notice that when you get older that it seems like time is speeding up? Yeah. Like, it seems so faster. It's just faster and faster. Can you imagine what it's like for God? I mean, he must be like speed racer every day. Like, you know, like, imagine just seeing everything all at the same time. Just all at once. <laughs> So the point is, why is God taking so long? We say that because of our view of time. You and I are misled, and we factor in time as a measurement for whether or not God's going to keep his promise or not, and that would be faulty thinking. Okay? Why doesn't he come back then? Here we go. Verse 9. Ready? The Lord is not slow. What? How many of you have ever thought God is a little slow on some things? 
I've been praying for my husband for like 29 million years. He's so slow in answering these prayers, you know what I mean? Why doesn't he take this person home? I mean, heal them, uh, Lord. You know you prayed those things before, right? And you're thinking to yourself, God is so stinking slow. So then verse 9, it says this, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Let me just say this. Slow and patient are mutually exclusive words with different definitions. Think about that. Slow is we're waiting on God. Listen, patient, God is waiting on us. God, you're so slow. I'm not slow. I'm patient with you. How can you say you're patient? How, look at all these things, all these things that are happening. You know, are you paying attention down there? I think God would like to say once in a while, don't lecture me, Derek, about all the pain and suffering that's happening on the earth here. I see every rape. I see every, every sinful act in, behind closed doors. I see every egregious activity simultaneously. Why, though? Why does he see all that and not do anything? Here's the thing. His slowness, not coming back now, is not an indication or reflection of his lack of concern. It's a reflection of the value he puts on human souls. It's a reflection of the value he puts on human souls. It's because of his love for those who have not, perhaps even in this room or within the sound of my voice, yet received him as Lord and Savior. It's a reflection of the fact that some people haven't transferred their trust to him and want to be a part of the family of God for all eternity. The fact that you have not crossed the line yet is because he's so patient and he waits for you. He waits. He waits. Verse 9b says, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone, everybody say anyone, anyone to be, to perish. So big idea is God is not slow, he's patient. In verse 15 it says, bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Now listen, at some point patience runs out. It does for everybody and it does for God. But you need to identify this right. More time to God means more souls in heaven. God is much more interested in the soul of man than the temporary and temporal needs of man. Way more. And he will suffer. This is what's so like, convicting to me sometimes when I reflect on his love for me and his love for you. Sometimes I want to drop to my knees and just kind of cry because he suffers the misunderstanding of many, feels the pain of millions, and waits anyway. Because one more might bend their knee. I hope that resonates with you at some level because that's why he waits. You can think what you want about me. You can believe what you want about me, but I'm waiting for you is what he's saying in heaven. God. And I don't think like that. I think even as a pastor, I'm so convicted by that. My choices, my habits, my daily routines, my checkbook, my relationships don't reflect the number one concern that God has, and that's souls. That's souls. So our souls are priority for you. I think if they were, and if we believe that he was coming back, and we believe the significance of this, we wouldn't be silent. By the way, your faith is personal, but it was never meant to be private. The Bible doesn't say that. It doesn't say hide your faith under a bushel. It doesn't say that. It says let it shine. Are you with me, everybody? So here's three major implications of the return of Christ. Are you guys getting something out of this, I hope? So number one, if this is true, we quit blaming God for all the evil in the world. Stop being so surprised. People get sick. People, yes, this, this, this world is broken. 
And, and stop, stop being so surprised by that. We should quit trying to make this heaven. This is not our home. The return of Christ is a reminder that, that the world is broken and that, that his return is the solution. Number two, we look forward to his return. So, if, so if, if we believe this, we should anticipate, look forward to his return. It's not a divine interruption. Instead, it's a welcomed intervention. It's not a divine interruption. It is a, come on, somebody. It is a welcomed intervention. Come, Lord, come. All right? And then lastly, if this is true, we wouldn't spend so much of our time. This gets me every time. We wouldn't spend so much of our time, talent, and treasure trying to settle in here. We'd spend more of our, more of our time and talent and treasure trying to help others settle there. That's why we exist as a church. That's why we serve. That's why we give. That's why we uh, focus on others and not ourselves because it's about helping many people settle their eternity against this little life that we hold on so cl closely to. It's a scratch against the backdrop of eternity, everybody. This world is not your home. And we're spiritual beings, as I said before, having a human experience. Are you with me, everybody? Man, I have so many things that I want to say. I want you to stand to your feet as I pray for you. I'm just going to release... TC, Framingham, guys, I love you. Thank you for listening. Uh, Pastor Cliff, Pastor Josh, I turn that over to you at all locations. Online, thank you so much for being with us today. And uh, with every head bowed, every eye closed, let me just speak over you uh, this thought. Kind of a challenge to you today. If you're a Christian and you believe this and it becomes front and center in your life, I think things should begin to move around in your life a little bit. And if you're here this morning, you're not a believer, I urge you to consider what's been said. It's a lot to bank on, banking against Jesus saying, I'm coming back. That's a lot to go up against. And when he does come back, you lose your opportunity to choose him. He's not coming back as a savior where you can, with grace, he's coming in mercy. He's coming as a judge then. And he's told us that, everybody. And the reason he hasn't come back yet it's not because he's slow. It's because he's patient. And he's patiently waiting for some of you. Are you prepared for his return? He waits for you. He's not slow. He's patient. Some of you know God, but your reaction to the return of Christ is a barometer, a measurement of the condition of your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you don't await his return with excitement and enthusiasm, where you say, uh, come Lord, come quickly, like John said, then it's, it's saying that you're, you're disconnected at some level. You're, you're distant from God and your relationship needs to be refreshed. You know, in biblical times when they had weddings, it's different than weddings today. Weddings today, it's all about the bride. The wedding doesn't start till the bride is here. But in biblical times, the wedding didn't start until the groom came. The groom came. And the bride, you can read this in your Bibles, but the bride had to, make, have to, had to be ready at any moment. Because there would suddenly be an announcement. It could come at 3 a.m., 3 p.m. You didn't know when the groom was going to come. But when he came, the bride had to be ready for that wedding. And Jesus gave you and me a picture of his return. The groom is coming and is the bride going to be ready? With every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're here today and you're saying, God, thank you for waiting for me. Thank you for your patience for me. Today is the day that I'm going to stop 
trusting in myself, but I'm going to trust in what you did for me. I believe that timeline. You died to pay for my sins. You rose on the third day. And it is by grace through faith I received that payment was made for me. And it's by grace through faith I received the power to overcome in this life. And I believe when you come back, I'm going to already be on your team and I want to go up. If that's you today, you want to have that certainty today, I want you to raise your hand and say, Pastor, I want to make sure I'm right with God. I don't want to miss that. Don't want to miss that out. Good night, good night. God bless you. One, two, three, four, five, six, six, seven. Thank you. Anybody else? Back there, thank you. Eight, nine, thank you. Thank you in the back there. That's awesome. Anybody else? Look at me. Raise your hand high. Good, 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 good. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. You can put your hands down. Maybe you're here today and you know that, as I mentioned before, that it's a barometer of the condition of your heart. You're, you're, it's, it's not a welcomed intervention. It's an interruption. But God is resetting that. You've looked at it the wrong way and you want to make that right. If that's you today, I want you to raise your hand and say, I want it to be a welcomed intervention. That's me. And I've looked at it wrong and I repent. Good and high, good and high, all over the room. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. So good. So let's pray this prayer together. Everybody, let's just say this. Say, Jesus, thank you for your patience with me. Thank you for your incredible love that in spite of me, you wait for me. Today, I surrender my life to Jesus Christ fully and completely. I change my attitude, my mindset. I see things differently now. You're not slow. You're patient because of your great love for me. Save me right now in Jesus' name. Father, I pray for every person who prayed that prayer for the first time that you saved them. I pray for every person who also said, God, I pray you adjust my heart. Make me a new creation. May I see things right from this point forward. If that's you today, I pray, Lord, that you touch them and that the second coming would have implications to their life going forward. And it's in Jesus' precious name that everybody in this room said, amen and amen. Can we thank him for his word? We welcome you, God. You're coming back. We build our life on Jesus Christ, our firm foundation. Amen.